G'day, you mob. How's it going? Pete here from Aussie English. Welcome to today's interview episode where I have the pleasure of interviewing Paulina Bravo. Now, Paulina is from Mexico and she has two Instagram accounts, Latin Oz Education and Mexicana in Australia. So, she'll mention more about this in the interview, but I effectively met her online recently through Instagram and saw how interesting her accounts were and wanted to share them with you. So, she has been in Australia for a number of years now. She went through the process of moving from Mexico where she was working for Coca-Cola at the time. We get into that in the interview. It was an interesting story. And then she came out to Australia. She ends up learning English, setting up life here in Australia and starting her own business, Latinos Education, where she helps Spanish speakers um, go through language schools, get visas, things like that. So, I thought she was a very interesting and important person to have on the podcast. So, guys, without any further ado, I give you Paulina Bravo. Vamos. G'day guys, welcome to this episode of Aussie English. Today is an interview episode and I have a special guest, Paulina Bravo, and that is uh, with an Australian accent there. And uh, she is the owner of Latin Oz Education and from Mexicana in Australia on Instagram, right? So, yeah. Paulina, how's it going? The, um, I'm good. Thank you, Pete, for having me. And by the way, it's not actually a weird Australian accent. You pronounced it correctly. How would you say it, though? I mean, is it, I assume they're both Spanish-Mexican names. What would, how would you pronounce it correctly? Like in- full-on Mexican? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> Paulina Bravo. <laughs> Paulina Bravo. I've always found the VB thing so difficult yeah, to do. I think it's because we never make the difference. Like, we, we say, I don't know, like, Instead of virgin, we say virgin, so. Yeah, but it's like, why do you guys bother using Vs and Bs? Just have one letter, pick one of them and just use that. Because that's what <laughs> confuses me, at least when I was learning Spanish. I was always like, so the Vs and Bs, the spelling, it's the same sound, but yep. they use them and I'm so, I get so confused because they're different sounds. So You know, the funny thing is that actually when you're in school, they teach you that B, it's just uh, with your lips. Yeah. And B, it's a dental lip, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you you know it, theoretically speaking, but you never do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, what they teach you with that, meaning that um, that's how it should be in Spanish, but then they say, oh, but, but that's not just how we speak. Don't worry about it. Actually, no one says that it's not how we speak. Like, you can just tell everyone is speaking the same. Like, even the teacher he just said it's with your like with your teeth and your lip, your lower lip. Yeah. But then they go on and say, I don't know, like very. They say very. <laughs> well, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because you would imagine, obviously, the spelling shows that it used to be different, and the fact that other European um, Latin languages use they differentiate between the two, like yeah. in Portuguese. Um, but you guys have obviously just blended them together. We just. You know, we just threw it through the window. <laughs> like, so, yeah, whatever. <laughs> before we get into that, because I've got some questions to ask you about sort of yeah. life as a Latina and um, what you think of gringos. Um, <laughs> we, we can get to that later. But um, do you want to tell us about how you ended up in Australia with your own business, Latin Oz Education, and what that journey's been like? Wow, it's been quite a journey, actually. Um, So, I never, first of all, I never thought that I would live out, like, out of Mexico. I never intended to 
go overseas of course just for traveling like i i wanted to travel and yeah. like go to different places but i never imagined myself leaving my fa- like letting my family behind and you know it was never on my plans i was i was working for can i say brands that's all right right mm-hmm. I was working for Coca-Cola in Mexico and I was doing pretty well. Like I used to do market research and a little bit of um, category management and marketing in general. You sold your soul, man. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I was selling my soul a little bit. I didn't realize, I'm sorry to sort of um, pause you on the story, but I, I think from what I've seen in documentaries about junk food, Mexico consumes the highest proportion of soft drink right than yeah, any the average other- consumption for like per person in mexico daily is half a liter of and that's sugared i take it not just diet or anything like that included it's just full sugar it's basically just the classic coca-cola that it's 40 grams of or one bottle of 60 milli- 600 millimeters yeah. jesus that's just insane it's yeah. the per capitas are crazy and well like interesting fact this is mostly because in Mexico, it's way easier to get a Coca-Cola. Like, whatever you are, mm-hmm. even if you are in the farthest town that <laughs> not even roads can, you know, be built, Coca-Cola get, get to, gets to those places. And it's just can- in the plumbing, right? It's instead of water. It's easier <laughs> than water. They've just got Coke because it kills there everything. There are not even pipes or anything. But <laughs> the trucks get there, you know? Like, the truck, the distribution will yeah. make it. So, for people... Um, in those con- um, in the in those towns, it's easier to get Coca Cola than than water. Is it safer as well? Is that part of it? Because I've heard that there are some places where you like in Brazil. My wife's told me there are places where you would just never drink tap water. You buy bottled water, or you have some kind of filter system, or or you get soft drink and other drinks, but you don't just drink water. Um, is that part of it too in in Mexico yeah, versus absolutely. say America, where they obviously yeah. also have a problem with soft drinks and and here, <laughs> where there's we're not yeah, um, here, an well in Mexico. Well, here I don't see it that much because actually here it's very expensive to get a soft drink, but uh, in Mexico it's cheaper to get like sugary drinks than getting top water. Well, not top Jesus, water, sorry, that's not drinkable. But a bottle of water. Bottle of water, yeah, it's more cheaper. Far out. So you're working for Coke. Yep. I mean, you don't have to um, put yourself on the line and tell us anything that'll get you sued. But um, no, <laughs> what happened after worry. that? <laughs> no, but actually I was working in marketing research. So yep. one of my um, main duties was trying to find the way to develop other categories, categories like water or mm-hmm. I don't know, like soft drinks that were um, like made with stevia instead of yep. aspartame or other ingredients. So we were trying to like move the consumption from the classic one to other categories that were probably more, uh, how can I say, not profitable, but like a little bit unknown. A new niche as well, right? You've got somewhere else to expand into. Yeah, exactly. But the funny thing is that this is not confidential, but the funny thing is that Mexican, um, the Mexican market likes the sugar. Uh I've heard. Yeah, so we do like the the real Sweet. natural sugar. Yeah. 
So whenever you try to put something else that was not sugar, but tasted like sugar, they were like, what is this? Ooh. This is chemical. This is not sugar. This like- is interesting. Is the sugar that you use in Mexico in Coke the same as the US where they use corn no. sugar? Ah, interesting. That's why. <laughs> I've got an anecdote. My mom loves um, sugary drinks like, well, not just sugary drinks, just Coke, really. But she can't drink um, stuff with aspartame in it because yeah. she can, she's got the genes where it tastes horrible. Yeah. And so when she went to America with, um, you know, us as a family and with my dad other times, she would try and have the Coke there and be like, this is disgusting, even <laughs> though it was normal Coke because they'd used corn syrup sweetener yeah. instead of just normal cane sugar. Yeah. And so do the Mexicans have the same thing where if they were to go to America, they'd be like, this is different. Oh, yeah, I can totally tell. Even wow. here in Australia, I can tell the difference. Really? Yeah. Because right. I guess I they, drink they get the syrup. Is it that they, they get the syrup and then the sugar's sourced locally and the water's sourced locally and then they produce it in the country? Yeah, like Coca-Cola Company has a formula um, yeah. in, in every different country, of course, is different because they yeah. have... Or um, not the same, um, how do you say, suppliers. Resources. Like, exactly. So, it's a little bit different. But in Mexico, the formula is actually uh, tailored to the Mexican taste. Yes, of course. So, we do like the, the taste of sugar cane. And you can tell, like yeah. this. You can immediately <laughs> tell. <laughs> so, did you guys do the whole, um, was it Coke Zero and then... What's the one now? No sugar? Coke, no sugar? No sugar. And then we had the green one that you guys had here too, but I saw that it was a fail. It's gone. Yeah. Life, Coca-Cola life. Yeah. In Mexico, it didn't work either. What was the reason for that? Like, can you, do you have an insider's sort of perspective on why they decided to do no sugar and then zero or or whatever the the way around it was when they already had diet, diet Coke? (laughs) Look, the thing is that first- in the 80s, you had the co- light or diet Coke. Yep. That was like the the healthy version of Coca-Cola for those <laughs> mm-hmm. who were looking after the bodies and all that. Yeah, the that's men- it. You can get like, you know, have your massive $50 worth of fish and chips. Just make sure you get a diet Coke <laughs> to balance it out. We do that. Like we have 10 tacos <laughs> and then diet Coke. Oh. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking just, after myself. Exactly. <laughs> Didn't want to go too so far. Have, yeah. So you have the Diet Coke. And then they found that some of the people that were kind of reluctant to go into the diet light trend. Yeah. Um, it, it was because of the aspartame. So, so it, was they too, it wasn't sweet enough, is it? That was the reason? or well, More than that. Well, at least in Mexico, it was because they were a little bit scared of the, of the ingredients. Like, okay too artificial they didn't know if they had um, an effect or an impact on your health in the la- in the long term or yeah. whatever so they said okay we have to come up with another kind of um yeah like another product that wasn't diet but it wasn't sugary so mm-hmm. it was like one in the middle so they said okay we're only going to say that it's zero because before no sugar it was zero coca-cola zero so it was zero that's right that was the first one zero sugar yeah. But then they changed the name because people started thinking zero, zero what? Zero fat? Like literally. <laughs> I heard this on a focus group. Like, really? Yeah. They were like zero what? Zero fat? So they weren't really um, relating zero to sugar. It was more uh, like zero, zero benefits, zero what? So zero was like a negative connotation to the brand. And then they changed zero to no sugar. Did they notice a big difference once they changed the name? 
Yeah, people people noticed it. I, I don't know how the consumption is now because mm. I left Coca Cola in 2015. Yeah, so that's almost six years ago. So when I I was leaving, they were changing the name in Mexico, and then I saw that happening here. Yeah, and interesting. Then um, before I left, actually, um, yeah, the, they came up with Coca Cola Life that was based we based on stevia. That is yep. like a natural. Actually, comes from Brazil, I think. Um, it's just a sweet compound that comes out of a plant, right? Yeah, exactly. It comes from a plant, but it has no calories or at least almost nothing. The trade-off is it tastes horrible. (laughs) Exactly. So people (laughs) didn't like the taste. Plus being green, like a green Coca-Cola was like, Uh what is this? So it never connected with people. Meanwhile, people drink Mountain Dew, right? Where it's like fluorescent nuclear colored green. Yeah, it's like, what is this? So people didn't like those that were, um, Coca-Cola was trying to appeal to those that were looking for the, you know, organic trend and Mm -hmm. green and all that. They were like, nah, this is still Coca-Cola. And then they're probably also the kind of people that are like, look, we come to Coke, not for the the green, healthy vibe stuff. So don't even try. Yeah, that's why the classic Coca-Cola is what it is, because even I mean, in some of the focus groups and um, surveys and all the things that I was doing, people were like, if I'm going to drink a Coca-Cola, I just want the whole deal. You know, yeah. like, I'm going to be like, oh, this is <laughs> tired. Well, I'm just going to have the calories. Just give me the thing. <laughs> It is interesting. My dad's hypothesis was that they made Coke Zero and then no sugar to compete with Pepsi Max. Yes. Because Pepsi Max was always much sweeter than Diet Coke. Yeah. And so I don't know if they were trying to get onto that bandwagon, but... Yeah, I don't know how they're doing here, but I've seen Pepsi Max a lot here in Australia. Like the, the two of them are here. The, the, I have both. I sort of go interchangeably between the two. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what made you decide to leave Coke? And I assume that was the sort of time that you were transitioning to come out here to Australia. Yeah. Well, the thing is that I was working at Coca-Cola and then um, while well, I was about to be 30. So I was like, oh, you know, I started feeling like I should move out. I should go ex- and explore the world and all this. So I saw that probably my English wasn't as good as I wanted. And there were opportunities for me to grow in Coca-Cola, but like in other countries. So I needed to improve my English. And I thought, oh, I already have a friend in Australia, so maybe it would be easy. Before he came here, my friend, I didn't know that Melbourne existed, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) No judgment. I don't think, no judgment. I don't think many people outside of Australia really know. They probably know Sydney and Canberra, if anything. To me, yeah. And Canberra was like, just because, you know, in the map, you know, it's the capital. But literally for me, Australia was Sydney. And then he moved, um, he moved here in 2008. So that's when I discovered Australia, Melbourne, like Melbourne. Um, and then when I started feeling like I should go and improve my English, because you can, you can learn in, in Mexico, but it's not the same. Like, no, it's I actually full immersion classes. Yeah. My lessons were always like, eh, you know. Not that good. And um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to give it a go. So I started looking for schools and all that. I found a school. Um, and then I, it was like that. Like, I just literally said, okay, I'm going to go. <laughs> but by the time I applied for my visa and all that, it was very funny because I got promoted. So <laughs> it was like, <laughs> no. It was the position of huh? my dream, so I had to decide and all that. And then in the end, I said, like, I'm just going to do it because otherwise I'm going to regret it my whole life. 
And if I, if I stay here in this position, I'm probably never going to do it. So I did it anyway. I arrived in Australia in 2016, the 3rd of January. And yeah, basically I took a whole year for myself, like just studying English. And I really put a lot of effort into it because I really wanted to improve. So I did a lot of courses. I started with general English. I arrived with a, an advanced level already. Much to my surprise, because I, I was like, okay. So, who decided? Was that that you did a test and they were like, oh, yeah, you're advanced? Yeah, they placed me on that, on that level. I was very surprised because when yeah. I first arrived, you know, I went through the customs here in the airport and I was like, what? Because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't understand what they were asking. It was just so different, the accent and all that. So, so how did you find? I, I couldn't believe that I was advanced. Yeah. Well, how did you find it when you were put into the advanced group? What was it like uh, getting lessons, doing a course? I, I, there are a lot of people who say that teaching or not teaching, learning in classrooms from teachers is not very effective. Um, mm, yeah. But obviously, it's tied in with getting a visa and being able to study in Australia. How did you find the process? And was it the most effective thing to just go to classes? Or did you get to the level you're at because you did all this other work outside of other the class? Yeah. Look, I did find it um, useful. I would say first, I'm going to be honest, because general English to me wasn't that helpful. Like sometimes I felt that I was just going, kind of going to the playground, like <laughs> a little bit of too, too many games. And like, I yeah. don't know, I, I wanted to get very serious. So actually, I only spent one week in general English because I asked to be changed to something more academic. I got to say that I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd. So I was like, <laughs> I'm playing too much. <laughs> yeah. And this doesn't feel gross enough. It's not difficult enough. It's too much yeah. fun. Yeah. And also I was 30 already. So all my classmates were 18, 20 and I was uh, like their mom. So it was like, guys, <laughs> I wanted to be the teacher and be like, guys, leave the phone. We have an activity, you know, Yeah. <laughs> things like that. So they changed me to the business English class and that was much better because we had to make projects so i had to make marketing proposals um i don't know do uh play roles like for example i was playing the marketing boss and i was firing someone it was <laughs> really cool actually <laughs> so how do you fire someone in english uh well it was like a whole like presentation so i had to be very nice and first tell them like you did very well like bringing us your energy and all that however we have a problem with the you know like explaining the situation because i remember that we were gonna um make a lot of people redundant <laughs> so Jeez. we were kind of giving the same speech yeah but the the way they were behaving or taking the 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 news it was different so i had to deal with that it was very cool actually um, after, after business English, then I moved on to Cambridge. So I did the advanced class and I found that amazing. That was the best course for me because I learned grammar. Like I, I could go through grammar again, like very basic stuff and more advanced. And I was being prepared for the exam. So I got the certification as well. I got the exam passed. And also I learned a lot about um, like native expressions and a lot of vocabulary that I was listening on the news or on the streets. Like it was more real. I found it less academic. 
I've heard that that's the sort of difference between Cambridge and IELTS, right? Yeah. That Cambridge tends to be a lot more in-depth and you're going to be learning a lot more about English in general yeah. while studying to pass the exam, whereas IELTS, it tends to be, we're just going to teach you what you need to know to pass the exam. Yeah, like the techniques and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely. To me, Cambridge was probably the best course because it was also very interactive. Yeah. So you always had a partner, different partners around the, uh, around the, the course. And we were always talking about different topics. So I learned a lot about my classmates because we were always comparing our cultures or points of view, like the, the different perspectives on education, politics, social issues, even talking about celebrities, you know, like things like that, like the Britney, free Britney, it would, it would have been a good topic. But <laughs> things like that. It was very cool. Very, very cool. We read books. Um, also, we were having discussions on the book, news, uh, mm -hmm. videos, TED Talks. It was very good. Like, And at the same time, I was being prepared for the exam, which was not easy. Let me tell you, I suffered. Like, I've heard. Really hard. Really hard. I got a good score, but um, probably I could I could have done better because... Well, that's always the case, unless you get 100%, yeah, right? You're I was always very like, nervous eh. and, you know, like, so it was... Uh. Anyway, so I passed and then I still had like half a year <laughs> of English, like paid English. So the school was like, where am I going to place you? Like, you're already in the highest level. Like, what am I going to do, do with you? So they put me um, like 10 weeks for IELTS. So I was preparing for IELTS. However, I wasn't going to take the test. I was just, you know, preparing for IELTS. Reaping the benefits of the study, right? Exactly. Like, all right, we'll see if this improves my English. We'll do yeah, it. I was practicing, like helping other students. With you must have been the most relaxed in the course because you're just yeah. like, ultimately, I don't have to take the, the, the um, exam. So screw it. Yeah. I ended up being friends with the teachers because I was just, you know. <laughs> So now they're my friends. Um, but yeah, I was taking IELTS. Then it it were it was good because I took the IELTS like like two years ago, and I did pretty well because I actually remember the the techniques and all that. Why did you have to do IELTS if you'd already oh, done Cambridge? You certified my agency. Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I mean it was optional, but I did it anyway. So yeah. So I did that, and then the last ten weeks were English for academic purposes, and that was full on essays and mm -hmm. projects and going to the library and what else yeah like service more more like university stuff yeah that kind of thing it was very good too because i learned to uh write more formal documents and that's pretty much what i use um every day now that i'm working here so yeah so what, what advice would you have having gone through that process? What advice would you have for people listening now who are th either thinking about doing that in the future or who may be doing it currently? How do you get the most out of those sorts of um, courses and classes to reach the level that you got to in English? And, and was there something that you could have done better when you were doing it? Look, I think the, um, the main advice that I actually give now to my students, because I help them plan their process and how they're going to go from one course to another, is if, if you haven't got to an upper intermediate level, make sure you stick to a very, very good general English. Like, try to learn about everything. Like, yeah. not just the typical conversation that you're in the supermarket or queuing at the bank or things like that. Like try to read about education, society, things like that, not just the class. Because yeah. I think 
another another point that helped me improve faster was that I was trying to talk to many natives before going to Cambridge, let's say. That was the highest level course that I took. So before Cambridge, I tried to get in touch with many locals, many natives, not only Australians, like people from the US and New Zealand. So I was always asking them to correct me. So and you're... I still make heaps of mistakes. Like I can hear myself and sometimes my mouth is faster than my yeah, brain. Yeah, I feel you. And I know that I'm making mistakes, but I know that I'm wrong. You know what I mean? It's like, it's there, but I'm faster. <laughs> but um, So what you were saying is that when you come and you're studying at a course, the, the English study doesn't start and finish with going to class. It's, no. it's probably the majority of that is outside the class, right? Where, yeah. you know, the classes may be an hour long or an entire day long, but you should be also supplementing that or complementing your classes with other stuff outside of it. If it, even if it's social or, or fun or whatever, but just don't, don't, I guess the thing I want to sort of get to as well, you can talk about this, but try to avoid falling into living with your own nationality and speaking your own language 100%. outside the classes, right? Did you have to battle with that at all, with with hiding from all the other Mexicans or Spanish speakers in Melbourne or, or um, other parts of Australia? Or was <laughs> that a... Like, nah! Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no hablo espanol. <laughs> was that a, a difficult thing that you had to kind of overcome, that uh, that avoidance of, of Spanish? Look, it, it's tough because I'm going to tell you, when you're here and you're new and you know nobody, yeah. like the first thing you hear, like if it's a Spanish, you just, you know, you feel like going and talking because you feel familiar. <laughs> so it makes you feel like My people. I'm not alone. <laughs> it's like, okay, someone can tell me if I'm reading the, I don't know, the timetable for the train or whatever, right? Yeah. But... I mean, if you're already advanced, like I was, I think the worst mistake you can make is choosing someone with you that speaks Spanish. Like you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone Yeah. because you already understand you can communicate, you can read, you can, you're capable of many things. Like not just, you know, when you're on, a, on an elementary level, that's different because someone has to help you. Yeah. So in those cases, Depending on the level you are, um, maybe you need to, to choose your friendships or the people that will live with you because sometimes you do need help. But if you're already advanced or upper intermediate, you have no excuses. You need to try to speak English because sometimes I tell them, like, you, I don't know, you spend at least $200 a week for a class and it's only for four hours a day. But the rest of the day, you speak Spanish. So what's mm -hmm. the point? Or your language, you know, like I, I'm talking just for the Spanish speakers. But even in the classes, sometimes um, yeah. you feel the need. If, you, if you're with someone that speaks your language, you kind of feel the need of, you know, like, oh, it's there. Like the Spanish, the Spanish wants to like flow <laughs> and you have to push yourself so i used to be the one that i don't know it was in the group and they started relaxing and and start speaking spanish and i was like english guys english mm -hmm. because i was like the mom so in the end i think that helped and i wasn't really hiding but i was trying to kind of make mm, not even like avoiding people but like trying to spend more time with people that spoke spoke English definitely yep. 
100% either in the libraries or I used to take any opportunity at the supermarket because something that I found weird here in Australia when I first arrived, it was that everyone will do small chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so weird at the beginning because I was, I don't know, like at the supermarket and the guy at the at the desk would be like, hey, how's your day? Isn't it cold today? And I was like... <laughs> what What's the sort of norm in Mexico? Would they just not do that unless they were, say, hitting on you or something? Yeah, it's more, more when you're, like, interested in someone, you would try and, like... Say more than hi. How are you? Like, it's it's so funny. I had I was at the Woolworths yesterday, and I, I was checking stuff out. And this lady was obviously just on autopilot and just doing the you know going through the motions. And we I got there, and she's like, "Hey, how's your day been? Everything good? Like, how are you?" And I was like, "Yeah, blah blah blah, not bad. You know, how about you?" And she's like, "Not bad." And then she started putting some more things in, and then um she's like. Hey, how's your day been? What's going on? How are you? And I was like, Wait, is this Groundhog Day? <laughs> you just asked me that. <laughs> so, like, yeah, good again. <laughs> <laughs> Still good. <laughs> no updates. Still okay. Still good. <laughs> so, uh, did you have any issues? Yeah, when you, for me, when- it was, I mean, different. So. Sorry, I think we got a bit of a delay on the, oh, sorry, um, on the internet. No, all good, all good. I was going to ask... Um, did you have any issues with building confidence in, in speaking English when you got to Australia? And how did you sort of overcome that? Not much because I felt that here in Australia, I was just anybody like, you know, no one cared like if I'm, I was making mistakes or not. Yeah. So I was just trying. And even now that I hear myself, like, I know that it sounds good. Like, I know I have an, a good score in IELTS, but I can still hear how I make mistakes. And I try to look at it as like, like a motivation to keep learning more than feeling down and, oh, I'm, I'm terrible or like, oh, you know, I should know this by now. Mm, I think it's just normal because even in Spanish, I don't speak perfect Spanish. Like I can still make mistakes, you know, yeah. grammar mistakes or orthographic mistakes or sometimes when you're speaking fast and um, mm-hmm. you can also mix words and yep. you know it's just normal it's part of your language and it, that's my mother tongue so i i try to be kind of like nice to myself and say look it takes years i think to master another language so i've been living here for five years and at the beginning i'm gonna say it was a bit not that I didn't have confidence, but it was sometimes, especially when I was like socializing with people, like more than two people, let's say a group of five and everyone's speaking slang and laughing and, oh, <laughs> and all that. <laughs> I was just with my drink. like. <laughs> you know? what, is, what would your advice be? Because I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who say they have trouble with... Um, when they have to interact with either really advanced English speakers or native speakers in Australia, you know, your average Australians, how do you, what, what sort of techniques do you have when it comes to getting into big groups like that and trying to be a part of the conversation? Are there sort of tricks and tips that you, you can give us? It's hard. I'm going to say that, that's hard <laughs> because sometimes you just feel that you're out of context. You're just like yeah. catching the joke of, I don't know, one minute ago and they already moved on to another one. Like you're in slow motion sometimes. Yeah. 
But I, my advice is just keep trying because if you stop going to groups or if you say, oh, no, I'm not going to go because I don't get what they say. If you stop going, you will never get what they it's, say. It's not going to get easier by avoiding it. It's not get, exactly. It, it takes time. Even yeah. now when I go with my friends that, I don't know, my friends have been my friends for ages now. Sometimes I still have to, to be like, what? <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, sometimes they just go so fast and they forget that I'm not native. So they, and I'm like, even, hang on, hang on, hang on. It, my so, wife was having those those issues the other day. She was chatting to some. She's from Maranhão, which is in the north of Brazil, and she was chatting to someone from São Paulo, and she was saying something like, um, uh, "Tava no tempo de da bronca or do bronca or, or something like that," which is like it was so long ago. It was ages ago in the time of the, and I don't know what bronca. I don't know how you would translate bronca or bronca, yeah. whatever it is, but it's like a you know a man or something. And the person chatting to her, who's from Sao Paulo, was just like, what? What the hell did you just say? Bronca? Like, what? And it's and, the same language. Yeah. I mean, and Kel was like having yeah. to explain, oh, man, sorry. Like, I had no idea how much slang that they have, even expressions that are just completely. And Americans and us would have that. You know, if I said, oh, man, I've been flat out like a lizard drinking, they'd just be like, what? You know? What? But I yeah. heard something about Australians that, uh, well, Americans say, I root for that team, but Ooh, here, if you say yeah. I root for someone, it's like. <laughs> well, it would be like it doesn't make sense, really. It's it, we use root, R O O T, is sort of a slang term for sex. We wouldn't really use exactly. it for, for barrack for or support a team in, in sport. You would say I'm cheering for, I'm barracking for, I'm supporting so and so. But if you were saying something like I'm rooting for someone, it's like. How is you rooting going to help support the person? <laughs> you know, so I, we always chuckle when Americans say that and they're like, yeah, we're rooting for yeah, you. Actually, and you're like, okay, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I posted it the other day on my stories um, for the Australian Open and um, an Aussie friend told me, you can't say that. And I was yeah. like, what? And he told me. <laughs> we just giggle. But I'm sure well, it's the you, same. You know, you know, I mean, there will always be. Yeah, there will always be things that you don't know. I mean, that's what I try to think. And that's what kind of gives me confidence because I know that I don't know. I don't know it all. Mm -hmm. And I don't pretend to know it all. So I just go there and have fun. And if I have to pretend that I understand the joke, like I just <laughs> pretend. <you know. laughs> I've got a trick for you. I've got a trick for you. This is great. And I use this all the time. I didn't oh, even know me. that I used this. My wife picked this up. So we were walking into Woolworths once and the person, one of the, the staff there, had the thickest, like, broadest Australian accent. And I didn't even know what he said. We walk in and he was like, rawr, 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 and then, ha, 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 ha. And I was like, that's it, mate. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> and then kept walking. And he was like, gave me the thumbs up. And he's like, yeah. And my wife looks at me and she's like, I didn't understand anything he said. And I'm like, neither did I. But that's my go-to. I'll just say, that's it, mate. You know, that's it. You're right. That's 100% it. use it. That's it, mate. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. That's a good one. Because then people will think you got it instantly, whatever they've said, and that you're laughing. And they'll just, you know, it was funny because I hadn't thought about it that I was just reading his body language. And to avoid yeah. an awkward situation where I asked him to repeat himself because I had no idea what he said. I just, yeah, was like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. That's it, mate. That's it. And then, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, actually, yeah, it's, I never thought of that. Like, you can just kind of agree with someone and that's it. Like, yeah. That's it. Leave it's, it there. Exactly. And also, like, something that was a problem for me, like, now that we're talking about confidence and all that, was when I started talking, uh, speaking on the phone while working, 
because after I finished my course, um, yeah. I was offered a position in the school that I was studying. So they, they hired me first to be kind of like an admin um, officer, but I was also a little bit in charge of marketing and a little bit in charge of like Spanish speaker um, students counseling. Yeah. So I was doing a little bit of everything. But, did, um, did becoming admin scare the crap out of you in terms of having to do phones all the time? I feel like that is something that would make me poo my pants if I had to do that in another language I would be that's yeah, one of the most horrifying things I can imagine is just awful. having to deal with a foreign language on the phone constantly and especially because it was not just um native speakers it was yeah. people like from everywhere so sometimes yeah. the accents were so thick and you feel bad because you know I was I was always thinking it's okay if you didn't understand you can just ask again mm -hmm. but if you ask five times for the same thing <laughs> sorry can you email me this <laughs> this is just getting too that's hard that's what i ended up doing <laughs> yeah that's look I like, look i'm gonna have to go to a meeting right now like with my mexican accent mm -hmm. like look i have to go to a meeting right now so i'm gonna give you my email and please just send everything you said on the email please <laughs> i know well so what's the I best way What's the best way to manage with those sorts of situations? Uh, just try to be nice and like never, never show them that you're nervous or like mm -hmm. freaking out. I was just like, Haha, hang on a second, <laughs> like pretending to be busy. <laughs> so they would be like, okay, no problem, no problem. So I, I was like, even my, even my, my colleagues around were just laughing because I would be on the phone like, yeah, just one second, sorry. And I, I would just wait. <laughs> and they would be like, oh, you poor Paulina. Oh, I'll have to like, remember this sorry, next time I'm on the phone. Again? <laughs> yeah, cheeky. <laughs> terrible, terrible advice, guys. But I mean, <laughs> that made me go with the flow and I learned. How and then you... when the time, when the time um, started passing by, it was just easier. Mm -hmm. Like you get used to it. And sometimes at the beginning, I was just like trying to follow my business English lessons. So I had like a little um, note or how can you say like cheat, a little cheat. table. Yeah, with like typical phrases to, <laughs> to pick up the phone, to ask for uh, directions, like, sorry, I'm not quite following or things like that. <laughs> Very clever. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, just always checking on my wall. Like, what can I say now? <laughs> So it was mainly just being prepared, having those kinds of phrases at, at hand so that you could refer to them. But then also it's just time spent practicing that task and eventually it gets easier. Yeah, because I used to be the one that would avoid the phone. Like mm -hmm. I would be the last one picking up the phone because it used to ring for everyone. So anyone could <laughs> just, like pick I'm up going the to phone. the toilet. So I would always be like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like I'm choking. I used to. I used to absolutely hate it. I worked at a um, pizza restaurant and I sometimes would have to answer the phones. And the worst thing was that the people working there were really horrible. So if you screwed anything up, there was no understanding. There was no forgiveness, really. It was just yeah. they, would, they would let you have it and yell at you. And the, the other thing was that the phone was always so quiet. It was an old phone. You couldn't really hear anyone. So you'd always be, and people would be, you know, screaming and shouting in the background. And you just, even in my own native language with other people who are speaking a, um, English as well, I was terrified. I used to hate it. It made me so nervous because they'd be paying for things with credit card details or giving you addresses. Oh, yeah. 
and if you get it wrong then the pizzas don't go there or they don't get paid for. And so, yeah, I used to, telephones, hated them. Can't imagine doing it in a foreign language. So, respect, respect. <laughs> no, yeah, honestly, I still try to avoid it. <laughs> like, I always say, what's up? <laughs> oh, man. You know, just like you said, because sometimes it's like sensitive or yeah. like difficult information. And if you get it wrong, I guess one you could use is just, oh, sorry, I can't really understand. Breaking up, we've got a bad connection. I'll, I'll, I'll call you back. Yeah. <laughs> then you hang up like and they're that. like, oh, well, I didn't give her my number. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I used to say, well, if they're interested, they call back. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's I'm like that with my phone at the moment. I get so many fake calls. You know, you, you get telemarketers oh, yeah. and prank calls where they... I think there's like a scam where they call you, hang up, and they want you to call back and, and then get on the yeah. line and you get you have to pay for the time. So, I always oh. just don't answer. If I don't know the number, I just don't pick it up now. And I'm yeah, just like, too. if it's important, they'll leave me a message. <laughs> That's what I say. Actually, I have my, um, my what's that, voicemail uh -huh. um, recording. Yeah. It says, if, if I don't pick up the phone, please send me a text message. Like, I'm not going to call you back. <laughs> you get a, my, my, um, I know someone who has one of those messages where it's like, hello, hello, hello. Ah, just leave a message. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, dude, that's horrible. <laughs> that's very Aussie. That's the kind of thing that an Aussie would do. <laughs> well, on that note, when you, yeah. you came to Australia and now that you've been here for about, what, five years? Um, yeah. What was the process like getting used to the culture here and everything? Was it a big shock? Was it a, a big change? Or was it something that was relatively easy to kind of glide into from Mexican culture? Um, I think it wasn't that difficult to me because, look, I am not like the typical Mexican. I know everyone says that I'm the worst Mexican, actually. Because What's I the don't typical Mexican? Chili, like chili and tequila. And like, I don't like avocado. So everyone's like, what? You're not Mexican. So I was very much into like, not American culture, but more like mm -hmm. a neutral citizen of the world. So <laughs> like I used, to, I used to listen to ACDC anyway. So Wow. Oh, you're pre pretty much Australian then. Yeah. yeah I, without knowing, no? Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I love that American band. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, is Australian <laughs> is that a lane with that name yeah so I was like oh well of course it was difficult um in terms of the time zones that yeah. was the probably the hardest part for me because even now I still don't really have to match the times to talk to my family or my friends in Mexico so it's become a little bit um, difficult because mm. I, sometimes i would like to tell them something that's happening in the moment and because it's pretty much 12 hours behind or ahead right no, behind oh, yeah it's so like 17 ahead ah okay it's crazy because yeah with brazil it's almost like every time it's 12 o'clock here lunchtime it's 12 o'clock midnight midnight yeah, where my exactly. um, wife's family are and and but so I you have to try and brazil and mexico are like like yeah true like yeah they, there's they there are still some hours in between the, the yeah. two countries so for me, that's the worst part. And in terms the seasons culture, are different too, right? There's a sorry? difference. The seasons are different, aren't yeah. they? Although you, you're pretty close to the equator, so it probably makes bugger all difference. Yeah, but I think <laughs> well, in Brazil it's the same hemisphere, and Mexico is in the northern. So, mm -hmm. in, like right now for them, it's uh, the end of winter. So yeah, they're always like, "Why are you in the beach?" And I'm like. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> so, well, that's one thing. And then maybe one of the things that um, was a bit shocking, but I'm not going to say like in a bad way, was actually something very good is the sense of security, like personal safety here compared to Mexico. Like, I, I, of course, I love my country and everything, but we all know that Latin America has a problem with, um, like, you know, robberies on the streets and pickpocketing and all that. And especially in Mexico, well, because of the narco and all that, um, crimes like kidnapping, rape and things like that started going up yeah quickly and so and it was very often to pause you there because this is something that i'm always interested in but i'm always sort of wary of asking mexicans especially colombians too jesus christ don't um mention pablo escobar don't worry, colombians. I, I can talk about everything <laughs> so i, we I were, don't get anything personal yeah, my wife my wife is very fascinated with um el chapo she was watching we were watching narcos yeah. and i was so like i know the story of el chapo and my wife didn't. And she's like, I feel like he's so hard done by, you know, this poor guy. He oh, just wants he's to be like- and I, in the beginning. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Kel, just wait, just wait. Yeah, he's a, he's wait a horrible him. dude, man. Just wait. Just and, wait um, for him to, to have the power. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I, I wanted to ask, you know, we Australians and, and probably everyone else who isn't Mexican get to see all these TV shows and, and it feels like the movies what what is it actually like being a Mexican in Mexico, though? Are those sorts of things as prevalent all around the place as they're made to seem in TV shows and documentaries? Or is it the kind of thing like, say, in Australia with shark attacks where yep. they're always on the news, but really when you go to the beach, you look around and everyone's fine There's and nothing. no one's seen a shark. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, what is it actually like you. in real life? Look, um, probably there are cities, well, not probably, like there are cities in Mexico that live the what you see in the movies day mm-hmm. by day. Like every single day, they will wake up and see like a decapitated body in the streets, and that's, that's just life. Normal, yeah. Like there are cities, especially like small towns, yeah. And those that are the thing is that there are territories that are being uh, disputed by cartels, yeah. So those territories tend to be um tend to change all the time because sometimes um they're taken over or like they change the cartel so there's another fight was this the like um tijuana and the sinaloan tijuana, Acapulco, Acapulco, like this massive famous beach that was like the incredible hollywood getaway beach uh in the 80s 60s now like my my parents have a house there and we haven't even been to Acapulco in years. Because Just because it's dangerous. It's so dangerous. So at the moment, sometimes my, my dad goes because he has to maintain the property and all that. But like mm. we, we wouldn't go. And wow. yeah, the thing is that, for example, it's not like you will see everywhere like narcos like this everywhere. But you could be in the middle of a, of a fight like that just started like this and there would be two hours of shootings like (laughs) yeah things like that so it's just crazy and for us at least you know it's so often in some cities because for example i'm from mexico city is the biggest city and you don't really get to see anything because it's so um it's not secure but it's like the government will try to keep it in a bubble yeah 
because it's the capital, it's a financial center, commercial center, it's like where most of the population lives. So that's why if you're in Mexico City, you will not see like the narco with the, you know, with the truck and things like that. But you will have other types of crimes like kidnapping, that it's also something that the narco will organize. Yeah. So they kidnap rich people and they get the funds to keep, you know, like... They ransom them, right? Yeah, exactly. Or now I think they are into um, avocado. So like distributing uh, avocado. It's just yeah. So they're everywhere. The thing is that, for example, Mexico City, you will never really see like a narco state compared to Tijuana. They, I think now it's okay uh, in other cities. Um, so it's very rare because we know it's there and you see the news and... You know, every single day there's something with narco in Mexico. Like sometimes they actually like eight years ago, the government made a pact with the news, with the media mm -hmm. saying you have to stop showing this because people are just like, you know, in panic. So they they stopped uh, showing what the narco was doing only if it was massive and like a big fight or something like that. But at the moment, we know it's there. Uh, and sometimes when we see the TV shows and, you know, the problem I think that that's creating is that some people in my country are somehow, you know, the way that narcos are depicted in the series and movies is kind of like glamorous as well. Mm -hmm. Like They have money and they're like powerful and things like this. So we have seen that many new generations are kind of trying to get into that. We imitate it and everything, romanticized it. And yeah, exactly. It's romanticizing the profession. So, How does the average Mexican view the war on drugs? Do they resent um, America for their part in not, not legalizing or taking care of their own country's drug use, which has put pressure or, or opened this niche and this opportunity for countries like Colombia and, and Mexico to have narco dudes take the cocaine and export it there and it's so lucrative. Do you guys resent the US and, and want them to sort their own house out or do you think it's an internal problem where Mexico has to just deal with what they're, what's going on in Mexico? You look, I think um, some people do resent, especially those who are aware of what's going on and how it works. For yeah. example, I've, I've read a lot and like I try to stay up to the news and all these. So I do know where the problem is. But also um, there's a thing that unfortunately you can't take away. That is the, the, the fact that Mexico is just next to the U.S. Yeah. So they have the money and we have the position. And it doesn't matter where the drugs are produced. For example, it could be Colombia, because I think they're the main producers still. Mm -hmm. The problem is that Mexico became the, the main distributor. So The hub, right? Because they're right on the border. They're right on the border. We have other, like many other products that go to the US because of the trade agreement that we have. So it's very easy for Mexico to put it into the US compared to Colombia. So I think it's so organized by now that it's just going to be probably impossible to get rid of narco unless they um, legalize or, you know, they have to do something at that level because otherwise I, I don't think if, um, let's say, if the U.S. starts a campaign to reduce the consumption or things like this, I don't think that's going to be enough.
Yeah. So that's why we kind of not um, resent the U.S. because we understand, for example, here in Australia, that was something that shocked me a little bit. Not that I'm saying that everyone does drugs, but just the, the way you live that concept in Australia is so different compared to Mexico to the U.S. Like, um, I don't know, I remember even... I don't remember when, when that was, but um, on the news, there was this thing about um, discussing if you could test your pills in mm -hmm. festivals here in yeah. Australia. Yeah, we had a few deaths where people had taken illicit pills to festivals, eaten them yeah. or consumed them, and then they end up dying because the pills have been mixed with God knows what other chemical. And so that was the thing, I, I mean, sort of to, sorry to, to not let you finish, but that was the thing that yeah. shat me. It really pissed me off when that was happening because it was like, look, these kids are going to do this anyway. Make it as safe as possible for them to do it. So make these pill testing things. I know like you don't have to necessarily condone it, but allow them the option of testing their pill. And if they see that it's unsafe, they can throw it away as opposed to just letting them do it in the dark. And if they die, it's their own fault kind of thing. It's like many other things like abortions and things like yeah, that. Uh, when I first heard that, because I come from Mexico where it's like drugs, ah, you know, it's like you're the devil and things like this. It's like so they have such a bad connotation. Mm -hmm. And to me, um, when I was in Mexico, like people doing drugs was like the worst people in the world and like job, I don't know, like just very irresponsible um lost people these catholic countries here, man these catholic countries it's like the yes, philippines exactly, brazil because you think yeah. there is a scene and it's so <laughs> deeply ingrained to religion religion yeah. so when i came here to australia at first i was shocked because i met people that had a phd yeah. and like they were doing amazingly in their jobs and they had heaps of money and businesses and they were doing drugs and i was like <laughs> Were they and doing they it? Kids, were they, they were the kind fine, of people doing dude. it responsibly, though, or were they the kind of people where they had a habit and it was a big, big problem? No, they were just normal. You know, they would yeah. just maybe go away for a weekend with their friends and say, "Okay, we're going to have fun." Yeah. And then I understood what having fun was, <laughs> but in my head, it couldn't be like, you know. So when I first heard about testing the pill, mm -hmm. I was like, "Wow!" And then I heard about the injection rooms. Mm -hmm. I was like. So that changed the way I was looking at, you know, the problem because here, I mean, you don't, I, you don't really see um, like a narco problem. It's not like a thing. It's ours, ours is more tied in with ice. So um, methamphetamine um, uh, and, and the bikey gangs that sell oh, it. Yeah. So I think they've just cracked down on a guy who's, He's been importing, I think, 80%, they reckon, of Australia's meth ice from Asia. And they just caught this guy and locked him up, I think. Um, so, it's coming from Asia. It tends to be made there, I believe. It's then brought into Australia. The bikey gangs buy it. And they're the ones that distribute it around the place. But there are definitely towns. I think Bendigo. Yeah. And Bendigo, I think, from what I've seen on the news, had big issues with there being an ice crisis. And it ties in, though, that it's really sad because it tends to tie in any of those drug problems pretty much anywhere in the world. It's always yeah. the local it's population and their opportunities. And if they don't have opportunities and, you know, places to, to go to work, safe places to live, access to food and water and everything like that, like, the, you know, the normal population, then they end up in it despair. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I mean, exactly. we have, you know, indigenous groups in Australia who have alcohol problems. There are... 
plenty of other examples. I think heroin and opioids now in, in the US, you know, I think that the leading cause of um, death now in the US each year is like opioids, which are legal prescription drugs. And it's related to despair and not having a, a meaning in your life and everything. So there's actually a very good documentary on Netflix on that. It's called The Pharmacist. And it's yeah. about all the drugs that are medicated in the US, but that there's a massive problem with addiction. Yeah. And here, I mean, in Australia, you can see one of the things that I saw as, as well when I first arrived was the, um, well, not a problem, but I, I could tell that there were many people <laughs> like outside on the streets, like yelling and fighting themselves. And I was like, yeah, That's, like I didn't know if that was dangerous or not. Then I realized that they were just like in their own world. Yeah. So there's definitely some, some crazy people. I've, I remember walking around Melbourne and seeing, a, I think who I suspect was a schizophrenic because he was having a full yelling match with no one. It yeah, was just, yeah. it was like he was talking to someone on his right hand side. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, this guy, yeah. yeah, he's in another world. And I, I see that every single day. Let me tell you, it's, it's just you, now part of my days, actually. Like sometimes I go on the train and yeah. they jump in and it's just normal. But, but I don't, I, I, I feel different compared to the way that it's in Mexico. For example, we don't really have that in, on the streets. Like you, yeah. don't, you don't have people like yelling to themselves or things like that, but you never know when someone's going to come and get your phone or like, <laughs> like drag you into a car. So it's just my, like, my, sorry to laugh. I'm not laughing because that's <laughs> no, funny. No, that's I'm okay. laughing because my wife always has these reactions where if someone on a scooter with a guy on the back with helmets on, if they ever drive past two dudes on a scooter or something, she always freaks like, out. Yeah. She's like in Brazil, that is a bad sign. You know, they're, they're going <laughs> to, so she, she freaks out here. Like, oh. yeah, she'll see them and be like, she'll grab my arm or something. And I'll be yeah. like, I'm like, it's fine. Yeah. You get that. Yeah. 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 Exactly or if someone if like, someone has like a bike helmet on and they walk into a store or something, I mean, you know, it's not normal, but I wouldn't, my first reaction isn't to crap myself, but she's always like, oh, Jesus. I feel her, <laughs> honestly. Like, I also have that because in Mexico, I, I was a victim of aggression on the street. So whenever I Jesus. feel that I'm in danger, I just have kind of the same reaction, like, you know, so tense and all that. And in five years, nothing has happened to me, even though one of the things that I love here in Australia is that I can go out by myself at night, jump on the train. There are heaps of people and especially in the weekends, like, you know, the nightlife here in Melbourne is quite vivid. So yeah. I feel safe. I can go home. Um, you know, I don't I don't have to feel afraid of the taxi driver or the Uber driver that they will take me somewhere that I'm not going to. It's just. I don't know. I know that there are things that happen here as well, but just the frequency. Yeah. Well, that's something compare. that's something really interesting that you've brought up. I, I did a video on culture shock in Australia and a lot of it was based on the stuff that I discussed. I was talking to my wife, you know, give me some ideas. What are the things you experienced when you came to Australia? Obviously, it's hard for me to write about culture shock when I'm Australian. And a lot of it was that sort of stuff, like I can walk around at night and I don't feel uncomfortable. And I've heard that from other people, but that video almost every single Australian woman who watched that video and commented was always like, that's complete bullshit. It's so dangerous walking around. And, you know, I understand that things happen and it is um, that there are those dangers, you know, there are definitely, um, definitely there violence are. against women and, and men, but yeah. 
it seems like most of the migrants I speak to totally see the opposite thing. And they're like, wow, it's way safer here. I can do these sorts of things. So, is that something that you think we take for granted as Australians and that we sort of need to, to appreciate the fact that, um, you know, it is actually a lot better to do for some people when they come to Australia in, in, in those sorts of, um, I guess, in those sorts of situations, it is a different kettle of fish mm. here. Look, the thing I see is because I don't think it's taken for granted, but I think it's different. I mean, it's difficult to compare if you haven't lived all the yeah. way. Yeah. So, for example, I've traveled some other countries and I've spent some time in Paris and I've spent some time in London and Stockholm and other like cities like in Germany, Frankfurt, Berlin, um, Prague. Everywhere I go, there's always a sense of not no, it's not that it's not unsafe it's just different like you can't you have yeah. to be aware like you yeah. have to be you know switched on like, yeah because i mean even if you're traveling and you're like la, 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 i always <laughs> call the shalala effect like <laughs> you have to be aware but i feel that in australia i never felt that um it's not like a threaten. It's just different. It's yeah. a different vibe. Mm -hmm. So in Mexico, look, I love Mexico and lots of tourists say, oh, Mexico is amazing. I would love to live there and all that. And I know why they say it, because when you're a tourist, mm -hmm. Mexicans treat you like a king. It's you only like, see the good side, right? Yeah, exactly. You see the good side. Everyone's like, you know, <laughs> carrying you the cushion to sit everywhere. And it's like, because, of course, they want your tips and they want your money and all that. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. So they're going to treat you like a king or a queen. But they, I mean, living on a normal life day by day, you have to be very careful. Like I, I've met, I mean, all the people I've met in my life have gone through different things. I did it myself. My sister ended up in Australia as well because she was victim of a robbery in a taco store. Like she was having tacos and Jesus. it was awful. So violent and all that. So it got to a point where you can't even be like easy and calm having tacos because you don't know when they're going to come. And so is that, is that one of the primary reasons for, for say migrating to somewhere like Australia and wanting to set up life? You just like, look, I just want to be able to relax. I just want to have a normal life because yeah. for us, quality of life, that's where it's something I was trying to explain the other day to someone because, look, in Mexico, you kind of have to have money to have a good life. So you in can fence of, yourself off and have security. Yeah, like yeah. protect yourself, have security cameras. And like, for example, my parents um, have a whole system of cameras and alarms and things like these because someone tried to break into our house once. So we yeah. had to, you know, install like many things and all that. So I can't even check them on my phone here, but <laughs> it's not safe. I mean, it's like every time I go to Mexico and visit them, they have to check on the cameras first that mm. there's nobody around. So I can, you know, join and I can um, get into the street and then get home. Jesus. It's crazy. It's like, honestly, that's not life. And other countries, I also spend, uh, as I said, uh, some time in other countries in Europe. And I also went through like dangerous situations, yeah. like in Stockholm, in Sweden, 
it was 3 a.m. and you would say, oh, it's Stockholm. It's so cold. Nobody's out. But my sister and I were chased by three drunkies and they were throwing bottles at us. Like, <laughs> just out of the nowhere. Yeah. So here in Australia, look, I don't think it's the safest place, but I would say it's one of the safest in the world. It's like, all relative. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's, I'm, I'm sure it's... Of, Parts of Australia experience. too, where you are, you know, I'm sure there are definitely parts of Australia where even I wouldn't walk around at night. But yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Like I've been warned, and <laughs> yeah, you have to know. Um, let's say in general terms, I would say like the chances that you get in trouble or someone um, attacks you, or like there are so um, fewer compared to Mexico, for example. Yeah, where I'm from. So we, and that's sad because many people end up in other countries because of that. What I mean, this is a sort of big, broad question, and I often ask my wife this. Um, how do you fix these countries in terms of the violence and the corruption? And I'm like... Yeah, I know that there's obviously no simple answer because I, I say to Kel all the time, I'm like, Brazil's like the size of America. It's It's yeah. got so much arable land. There's so many mines. There's so much wealth there. Yeah. But it seems like the disparity between the rich and the poor there is the almost is as, it's massive. massive. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, well, how do they, what did the Americans do in America that led to, I mean, they still have their problems, but led to the quality of life that they have there where people want to migrate there. But Brazil hasn't been able to achieve the same thing. And how do you get there? Is I think, yeah, I think one of the biggest problems that I can see throughout Latin America, like regardless of the country you're talking about, is the corruption. Yeah. Like the systems, the government systems are completely rotten. Like it doesn't matter if another let's say party or another politician comes and wants to change everything the system will always drag them down like yeah. it's always it's like a cancer so i do think that people can try and change and that's something that i i can see the new generations at least in mexico are being educated for like you can see that at the moment it's a massive mo mov movement against um, violence towards women. Yeah. So boys are being educated to respect women and likewise women are educated to respect men. So I can see a change in society in that term. But the problem is when you find that, for example, a, a I don't know, a cop is involved in drugs and they're protecting the bad guys yeah. because they get money or more money out of that. <laughs> because the politicians that? are keeping all the money that they could otherwise pay the, the police with. Exactly. So the problem is that if you're not protected by the police, who's going to protect you? Well, here in Australia, I know that the police is not perfect as well, yeah. but at least I know that I have a bigger chan chance of getting protected by a cop here because they're fairly paid. I mean, I know that maybe some, some will say, no, that's not enough. But compared yes. to Mexico, like yes. in Mexico, a cop is making how much? Like $800 a month? Yeah, I saw some. We were watching a TV show um, about a Brazilian policeman, and he's like, I spent 20 years saving money to buy a car. <laughs> and you're just like, What? I was saying to Kel, I'm like, is that just hyper hyperbole? Is he just being, you know, exaggerating? And she's like, no, that tends to be the choice. Do you want a car? Do you want a house? You know, that sort of thing. And yeah, I was just like, but he's a policeman. Doesn't he get paid well? And she's like, 
no <laughs> i was like oh okay no yeah it's really sad to be honest because if if you see those that are in charge of looking after the people and yeah and they get the least of the payments they will be like f f it you yeah, know well like, why would you be a policeman yeah exactly yeah. so uh, it's more profitable to help the bad guys get the money mm -hmm. so i get my own um part so yeah that i think that's the problem and that's that's something very difficult to change because i mean as long as the politicians keep doing it and then keep fostering this behavior and the corruption whatever people do is not going to be enough well you need a certain threshold right of people saying we're going to change otherwise it's just one person they tend to be quiet you know or yeah. they'll, they'll get silenced or killed or you know disappeared Whereas if yes. it's a whole lot of people and there's a big movement, that's the kind of thing that may get some traction, but it's very Absolutely. difficult, isn't it? I, I, I mentioned at the start of the show that I wanted to talk to you about Lati Latinos and, uh, Latinos. Yes. and um, gringos and gringas. <laughs> Can you describe for me, how would you describe what a Latino and Latina is? Because I was always very confused when my wife told me that she was a Latina and I was like, yeah. you don't speak Spanish. So how, do you, how would you def define it? That's a funny thing. Look, there are different different um, different definitions, but in general terms, a Latino or Latina is someone that was born in Latin America. Mm -hmm. Even if if the language is Portuguese, like uh, like your wife, mm -hmm. she would be a Latina because it's part of Latin America. So, what happens with the Dutch speaking and French speaking parts of Latin America? Uh, you got the present. Sorry, what happens with the Dutch and French speaking parts of Latin? Oh America? yeah, they're Latinos too. <laughs> ah, they get roped in. <laughs> Like Suriname, I don't know the name in English. Yeah, Suriname and or French Guinea or whatever it is, yeah. Uh, Guinea something. <laughs> I don't even know the name, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they're Latinos as well. But yeah. like Belize, Belize um, they speak English and they're Latinos as well. So Julius like speaking is Latino and Latina. But yeah. I know what you mean because, I mean, uh, Brazil has a very different behavior compared to Argentina or Argentina compared to Mexico. So some people think that Latinos are those that can dance and, you know, like a party and the Spanish. Well, we're actually related to that, like Sofia Vergara. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> the ay, 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 things like that. <laughs> so that's why it has like different connotations. And for example, some some people from Spain identify themselves as Latinos as well because they speak Spanish. Yeah. But for us, like You're a like, Mexican nah. wouldn't say that Spanish is Latino. We would say that they're they're European. Do you want to just turn your video off and back on just quickly? I think it's frozen oh, yeah, sure. on my end. Just give it a boom, boom. And she's back. back. Yeah, she's oh. back. So, what, so so okay, it's anyone who speaks um or is from Latin America or speaks a Latin-based language, right, over yeah. in Latin America. So, what about gringo and gringa? And, and I mean, that was me with my Aussie accent. And how do you sort of perceive them? Is it a negative term? I always get sort of resentful when my wife's like, ah, this gringo. And I'm like, don't call me that. I'm Australian, you know, or, or just <laughs> call me Pete, you weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Look, gringo, by definition, is someone from the US. Okay. And I think this comes from history because we had a little battle with the U.S., like Mexican um, North American battle when it was 1852, I think. And they were fighting over the Chapultepec Castle. It's a castle in Mexico City. So it was a massive fight and like uh, military and all that. So 
one of the one of the reasons why it's called gringo is because Mexicans, like the Mexican soldiers, were listening to the to the generals from the U.S. saying yeah. "gringo," like green. Oh, really? They were wearing green. Go! So really? they were saying the gringos, the gringos. You know. <laughs> wow, I had no idea that. I'll have to look it up. That's crazy. Yeah, because- look it up. They say it comes from there, but I don't know if that's the. My wife's always like anyone who's not um, Latin American is a gringo, and I'm like, wait, even Asians. Well, but- uh, they speak English. Yeah, okay. Well, no, yeah, I think they she- kind of started spreading. So now it's not just Americans. Wh- whoever uh, looks like a white English speaker <laughs> is a gringo. God damn. So is it seen as a negative thing or is that just a term? Mm, the thing is that in Mexico, at least, you, you can find the context, um, mm. the way it's going to be. Like, for example, if you are a um, tourist, for example, you, let's say you specifically, you will speak English in Mexico. So you, you, you will not, um, I mean, people in Mexico will not know if you're Australian, Canadian, because yeah. you know, it just sounds like English to us. But it's the same if I heard Spanish. I wouldn't be like yeah, exactly. Chilean, Argentinian. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't tell the difference. So for us, it's like gringo. Mm-hmm. And if you're a tourist and you're ordering your food, they wouldn't call you gringo. Like, hey, gringo, <laughs> what do you want? Like, it, it wouldn't be polite, but yes. behind the, you know, behind your back, they will be like, oh, this gringo wants this and that. <laughs> yeah, because it's so funny. I can't imagine. I mean, I imagine there's some sort of equivalent in Australia with foreigners, but I don't really think we have this group pejorative term for like just non-English speakers or, you know, one whole group. Yeah. Like th- that Spanish, we would use no? that, that sort of, that we would use that openly. I feel like if I were to use any of those racist terms, it would be a big no-no from other yeah. Australians. You wouldn't now just it's be more like, sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like. Yeah. It's. Just- I've seen some, t- some TV shows from America that maybe um, refer to Latin speakers. I mean, sorry, Spanish speakers like Hispanic. Or that's not a negative thing. I think that's how the Hispanics, uh, the Hispanics, will refer to themselves as well in America. Yeah, but there is a specific term that comes from Hispanic. Ah, it, okay. It's pejorative. But let me find it out because I don't remember exactly. And it's this this TV show, Eastbound. Is it, I, I don't want to offend anyone, but is it Spick? Spick? Yeah. yeah. That one. I, I see, think it's a little bit offensive. I heard that from, I think the TV show was Oz, where they're all in jail. And I think they use that, you know, they use the N-word for black people. Yeah, and, probably. Like, they use it to yeah. speak for um, yeah. Latin-based people, but I, it doesn't. Panics, yeah. I have no real understanding of how strong or weak it is or if it's offensive or not because I just, we never use it in Australia. There's no connotation where you would, you know, there's no situation where you would use it so you don't really get the connotation. There's not a lot of Hispanic yeah. people who came here all at once and it ended up this thing, but yeah. Exactly, that's that, what I was going to say. That's pejorative, yes, from what I understand. We are probably a minority here in Australia, like. For now. I mean, <laughs> even though so far, but even, <laughs> even though I know a lot of Latins, like especially from Colombia, I mean, mm. Colombia is probably the, the biggest community, um, speaking of Latins, but I think still compared to China, India, and I don't know, Pakistan, oof, we're nothing compared to them. <laughs> like, It'd be interesting to know the stats. There's a lot of Brazilians too. And I think that happened oh, yeah. over the last decade. They just exploded in yep. terms of just deciding Australia is the place to go. I think it's just because it's kind of easier coming here than to the U.S. Yeah. Because wow. Mexico, a lot of Mexicans go to the U.S. and Canada. So, Australia is a rare thing. It's like, 
some people even ask me like why did what? you go so far like imagine how new zealand feels yeah i know they're totally isolated <laughs> so so finishing up do you want to tell us a little bit about latin oz education yeah. So Latinos, uh, well, it has two different pronunciations in English. Is I wasn't Oz. sure. Is it Latinos or yeah, is it Latin Oz? <laughs> yeah. And it comes, you know, by putting these two words together. So Latin, yep. because we're Latin and Oz, because it's usually the way that you guys, you know, Aussie, like Aussie, short in Australia. So yeah. Latin Oz and education, because it's an education agency. And well, it all started because when I was um, working for the, for the English school, where I was studying as well, um, part of my, my duties were talking to students, like trying to interpret what they were like getting from the rules or not understanding. So I was doing the counseling, but also kind of a little bit of interpreting. So, I started detecting a lot of issues that they they brought, um, and it was because probably their agencies were not being completely honest. You know, like they were like the in Australia in a way that wasn't true. For example, like oh, you will basically just jump off the the, the plane and get a job offer, and I was like. You'll ride a kangaroo to work. Yeah, exactly. Like there are koalas outside your door. <laughs> you know, like things. I mean, that would be nice, but. If only. If only. But I mean, it's not true, especially things um, related to opportunities to get the PR. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, the professions and the kind of courses they had to do. So I started seeing that many people were wasting their time and their money. And it's it's frustrating because in my case, it was very hard to get the PR, even though it was the easy way. So even though I still struggled and I realized that it was going to be like a whole process and you have to be very um, full on with it. What did so, you mean by the easy way? Oh, because I'm married. Yeah, okay. It's a bit yeah. complicated now. But <laughs> I was, was going to say, Jesus, I'm I'm married to a Brazilian who's gone through the PR or is going through the PR process and it oh, is not easy. Worry. So I wouldn't well, want to see no, the hard version. You know version. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like lots of paperwork yeah. oh, and my God. very expensive and all yeah. that. So it's the easy way compared to someone that is going to apply for a skilled migration and they have to have their professions accredited. Oh, it's just Yeah, okay so hard and when i started getting into the the topic i realized that many of the students arriving in australia were kind of with an expectation that will never be met yeah so i started checking what they needed like what kind of information i could provide and all that and that's how i first started with mexicana in australia mexicana in australian spanish so i started giving them information in my instagram account like through, through my, my Instagram account. And I started getting a lot of people asking me like for honest advice and what do you think of this and that. So I thought mm, maybe I should like do this professionally. Mm. <laughs> like, because I was getting a lot of people and I was still working for the school. So I couldn't really recommend any other school or, you know, like I had to be, um, how can you say, like loyal to yeah. my, to my worker, my employers. So I talked to my business partner, who is my best friend, the one that moved in Australia to Australia in 2008. Yeah. So he became a business partner and we uh, started the agency together. 
So I basically got certified as an education agency. Well, agent first. And then we got all the certifications for the agency. But it, the agency is just me, basically. Like I have my sis, my sister that now helps me with the, the accounting yeah. and finances because that's just not my thing. Neither. And, and no. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> yeah, no numbers, please. And my business partner is a capital investor, but everything else I am in charge. Like I do the counseling, I do the sales, I do the um, negotiations and contacts with the provider. So I work with about 45 schools at the moment. It's pretty big. I've helped more than 100 students so far. Uh-huh. We started in 2019. And June 2019, and right when we were like taking off, COVID. Yeah. How has that helped? How or well, not helped? But how has that hindered and um, interrupted your sort of work as well as students in schools? Because I take it they're not getting any new students. Yeah. Or, who, is, a, who aren't already here? That's that's complicated because at the moment, as you said, like especially English schools are not getting students. Their main market is offshore students, like yeah. the ones that want to come. They improve their English and then they move on to something else. Could be a vet course or university or whatever. So at the moment, um, there are many, many schools that are, I don't know, under 50% of their capacity. And so far, I honestly don't see when the borders will open. Like, I don't even think that it's going to happen in 2021. I think it's going to go until 2022. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, There are many, many businesses that I think will close. I know that, of course, English schools, unfortunately, um, I think by the, by, yeah, by June or July, we will start seeing schools closing. Yeah. Or at least, you know, like hibernating. Is that (laughs) because the last set of students will go through and they'll finish up? They'll probably graduate unless they start getting more extensions or things like that. But I don't think it's enough to maintain the expenses you know like the cost of operating so i think many will just start sending um their remaining students to another provider so many will have to close i don't know who of course i don't know their finances but i'm pretty sure that many will and as per the agencies well the problem is if you're an unsure agency like me you can work with students that want to extend their visa or maybe they are, I don't know, in a postgraduate visa and they need to complement their studies with something else. So yeah. I still have a market and we, we are still doing well. So like you should be able Latinos. to sail through. Yeah, exactly. At least Latinos is doing pretty well and I work with a migration agency. So basically, um, if they need to study, they tell them, oh, you can talk to Paulina and see what options she has. And then you can choose if you want to go with her or someone else. And most of the times they choose me. So that's that's good. Um, I'm also very honest. Like I'll tell them, look, this is basically what you're getting for what you're paying. Like I'm not trying to embellish the service. Like this is what you get. So they, they, they think that. And um, let's say that the border doesn't open, I don't know, next year. That's it. Uh, for, in my case, I can only stand this year. Like I mm. have enough resources and enough business to make it through the year. But if the government said, oh, no, 2022 will keep, um, we will keep the borders closed. I don't think we'll make it. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. fingers crossed. 
unless they come up with something, because honestly, I sometimes I'm shocked that the government hasn't really helped the education industry. Mm. Like, I know that many, many jobs have been lost in the past six months, like especially um, jobs from people working in universities and other institutions, like not only private schools, but also tapes and, you know, not just the private sector. So, I don't know, it's hard to tell. I would thought, I would thought that by now we would have some sort of special you know, plan or something for the education industry, but yeah, not really. And it's tough because I know that once the borders are open, I think many, many, many students will want to come. Oh, yeah. Reasons. I can still see my numbers haven't dropped at all with um, people overseas listening to the podcast and, and watching the videos. So it seems like the people are still there interested. It's just they're yeah. waiting to, to be able to come back into the country. I'm sure, I'm sure that it's going to go up again. At the moment, of course, there are other countries like Canada and the, the UK that I think Canada stopped for a few months, but they're taking um, offshore students. Like they won't stop throughout the year. Wow. So they will probably take some part of the market. Mm-hmm. But even though I think the moment the Australian government opens the border, it's just um, going to explode. I yeah. have like 60 people waiting already and like asking me, are they open yet? Are they open yet? <laughs> <laughs> really? I mean, um, imagine if for us, it's been hard, like the whole COVID thing and all this. For us, it's it's been hard. Imagine for Latin America that they don't even have like enough resources. Mm. The government doesn't really care. Like I'm sure your wife um, is very aware of the president in Brazil. Uh-huh. It's a shit show from what I, I know. understand. You know? It's crazy. It's like, oh. so imagine yeah. all the people living in, in Brazil that have the, the meanings and they can, the means, sorry, they can go out and try and make an, a better life. Yeah. But they're stuck yeah. there. I know. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Far out. Well, Paulina Bravo, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can people find out more about you and what you do? Yeah, thank you so much for like having me really. I was very excited. Sorry if I spoke a lot. No, that's they're the best kind of interviews. I'm going to try oh, and prevent myself from speaking too much. So I'm glad it was I easy. I loved it. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. I only on. missed my coffee. <laughs> no, good. So where can people find you? Look, I have, well, two accounts. The Probably the main one is my personal that is Mexicana in Australia in on Instagram like literally Mexicana in Australia. That's where I'm more active. And then I have Latin Oz education on Instagram as well. Uh, And Instagram, well, I use it for like lots of um, information about Australia. So it's more casual. And then I have Facebook with the same accounts, Mexicana in Australia and Latin Oz education. And I don't use that more like that often. But I sometimes post uh, events and things like that from my partners. So that's very good. And I don't have a YouTube channel, unfortunately, because I'm terrible with editing and all that. (laughs) Outsource. Yeah. Yeah. And also, if you want to visit my website, it's just um, www.latinoseducation.com.au. No worries. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And hopefully we get you on again in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. I hope I can meet you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we got a five-day lockdown now, but um, after that. <laughs> I'll get you to my office so you can come and, and have a look around. Yeah, for sure. After awesome. the lockdown, of course. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
So yeah. Brad Pitt. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you.